I want to encourage you this morning, if you have never opened a, a Bible here, grab one now. Please grab a Bible. We are, we are walking through 1 Timothy, and when you walk through whole sections of Scripture together, you have no choice but to address all of Scripture. And one of the, um, the things that we as elders have vowed, that we have promised, that we will teach the whole counsel of Scripture. We are not going to kind of nitpick through little, uh, these are kind of our, our pet verses, our, our kind of key little things. Oh, we like this. This kind of fits in with our mission and vision statement. This, oh, this is really nice. Or, you know, we want to drive this home. We, we teach through whole books, and therefore, we address everything that comes along. And so this morning, um, we are going to be walking through 1 Timothy chapter 2 starting at verse 8 and going through uh, verse 15. And um, I think probably about a week ago, um, I'll, I'll just be honest with you, there was, there was a little bit of, oh, Lord, how am I going to communicate this? Because this is really um, one of those um, touchy subjects in the church of Jesus Christ. And even for Missio Day, it's one of those, huh, you know, you know, if I'd invite anybody up here right now, you'd go, you're on your own, Paul. Uh, good luck with that one, you know. Um, but then I started, especially as we, we went away to this prayer conference, and as I sat in this, all truth from God is countercultural. It's not of this world. It is his truth, and it is pure and beautiful. And so this morning, I come in with it, I'm ready. And I'm excited because this is God's word. And he desires it for his people. And so it's true for us this morning. And so you're going to maybe do a little bit of squirm and go, okay, Paul, where are you going to go with this? That's okay. I want you to kind of check yourself at the door and say, okay, why am I struggling here? If this is what God is saying, why am I struggling with this? What, what is it in my flesh? What is it in my heart? What is it, has it been in my life that is making me go, mm, I don't know if I like this, or I don't know if this is true. Okay? So let's read together. Starting at 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. I desire then, that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or, and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness, I do not per permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became the transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing. If they continue in faith and love and holiness self-control. This is the word of the Lord. No, 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 you don't. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, we need to be able to say that. The thanks be to God, even in the difficult passages. Well, I need to remind myself in, with scripts like this that I did not write the Bible. Uh, God did not even consult me in the process of writing how this should be written out um, in his great infinite wisdom. Um, but it's my responsibility to report what this has to say. Um, and that's probably going to be, this is probably going to be the case for me this morning and for you 
that some of you are, are going to feel a little uncomfortable, and that's okay. Um, and I confess that if I could write the script myself, if I could just script a Bible, I would not write what Paul wrote. I think in my sinful flesh, everything inside of me would have written something far more palatable, something far more you know, easy to digest, you know, Oh, that was really delicious. That was really nice. Make me feel all warm and fuzzy. But that's, that's not the case here. But by being a, a Christian means that I must obey apostolic doctrine. Not changing the message to be more compatible or more comfortable or really nice and fuzzy for you. So my task today is to tell you what God's word has to say about the sensitive subject. And you've, you've got to know, since I've seen this coming, because I'm the type that kind of plans things out at least a year in advance, we've got all the way to the end of 2011 planned out. I've known that this is coming. And so I've got this one shelf in my office, and you can see it, that has all these books about gender. Because this is one of the hot topics in the church. And so I have read both sides of the aisle. And I must admit to you that as I read the arguments for what are called the the evangelical feminists, I I wish that I could be convinced of their view. I wish that I could be convinced of it because their views are not as culturally offensive as what I'm going to be teaching this morning. It, It really... As I read it, I go, oh, man, I wish I could go down that way because it's really nice. It feels really good. But as I read the whole council of Scripture, I think there are some huge gaps that are missing. Besides, you also need to hear this because I think that as some people hear this, um, people might think that, Paul, you've got an agenda against women. I love my wife. I love my sisters in Christ. And I respect them as God has designed them and created you. And so I love brothers and sisters in Christ equally. So you you need to hear that. I'm not threatened at all by women. If anything, you know my wife's, me and my wife really well. She is a tremendous leader. Are there times I'm scared of her? Sure. (laughs) But she is a tremendous gifted leader. And she does a phenomenal job at Camp Manitoba as the executive director. However, as I look at scripture and how God is talking about the relationship and how things work together in the church, God has some very specific things to say about how we work together as men and women within the church, which is different out in the rest of the world, but how God wants us to be dealing with this. And I believe that it is plain in the teaching of Scripture that Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, prohibits women from exercising authority over men. Our text is central a central one to to grapple, really grapple with. Paul was correcting a problem that was going on in the Ephesian church. Presumably, there were false teachers whom Timothy was to confront. And these, these teachers, false teachers, had led astray a number of women that were in the church. You can see this uh, later on, um, both in doctrine and in morals. And you also have to understand the, the context of, of this. It took place in Ephesus. Ephesus during that time was a very sensual city. The goddess that they worshipped, her name was Diana or Artemis. She was the many-breasted one. If, you, if I would put up a picture, this woman had layers and layers and layers. And she was a goddess of fertility. And so there were a lot of things that had to be corrected as these people were converted into the faith and it made its way into the church. They were synchronizing what was going on in the culture in with the church. And Paul said, oh, no, 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 no. Culture and the kingdom 
values should not sync up. And so he was addressing a very big issue. And you can also kind of just a real quick reading. Paul was addressing dress code. And some of you are going, well, dress code? Seriously? You're going to tell me how to dress? You're going to tell me now that I can't wear pearls or I can't braid my hair? I can't do these kind of things? But you've also got to understand what was going on in that time and what are the overarching principles that Paul is trying to address. Apparently, there were some women within the church who were dressing in a sensual and extravagant manner in order to bring attention to themselves. Attention to them in their corporate worship. And Paul's going, whoa, it's not about you. It's not about you. So this morning, here's the theme. The theme for this morning is this. The conduct of women in the church should be marked by godliness and submission to male leadership. The conduct of women in church should be marked by godliness and submission to male leadership. In verses 2 through 10, he deals with the proper attire of, of women, which is to be godliness. In verses 11 through 15, he deals with the proper attitude of women, which is submission to male leadership. You ready? Anybody squirming yet? I can tell. You are. First, the proper attire of Christian women. Are you ready for the dress code? You know, for Missy O'Day? You know, some of you are going, okay, so how can I dress next week? Should I be able to wear this? Should I not be able to wear this? The proper attire for Christian women is not to be focused on outward appearance, but godliness. Paul is saying, listen, what matters for women and also for men is not your external appearance, but what? Your godliness. We can even look at how this, um, when Nathan, the prophet, went to uh, anoint the the king of Israel. Saul was kind of this this wicked king, and, and who did he go to? He went to this, this small family and said, okay, bring out your best sons. And I want you t- to line them up because, you know, we're, it's time for us to anoint the next king of Israel. So the father brought out all his sons. The first was a tall, handsome, strapping young man. And Nathan goes, oh, this has got to be him. And God said, no. Well, bring the next one out. And the next one. And the next went through the whole thing. And he... He said, do you not have any more sons? Yeah, well, we've got, a, we've got a kid out there in the fields. He's kind of watching the sheep right now. If you want me to bring him in, we can do that. Bring him in. He brought him in. and God affirmed in, in the prophet's heart that this is the man. And what did God say? For man might look on outward appearances, but God looks at the heart. So this is a cross-gender thing. But specifically, Paul is addressing an issue that is taking place in this church. Saying, the sisters in Christ, godliness is to be the center of your focus. Not your appearance. Appearance, yes, you know, there is something about a beautiful woman. And if I would say that that doesn't matter, we'd be lying. I'm drawn to my wife because of her beauty. But there is also something far deeper and richer. And what is that? Her godliness. Her godliness. Our grooming and clothing says a lot about our values, doesn't it? As well as the way that we think. If a woman dresses in a sensuous manner, or if an inordinate amount of attention is given to her grooming, she is emphasizing her external beauty. 
How many times have you you've walked through stores and been in restaurants where you go, what is going on over there? She thinks she is the queen of the world with how she's dressed. You know, but if you, if you just sit, and this is not an issue of judgment, often the external adornment is often a cover for a heart that is lacking and yearning for attention. Paul's directive in verse 9 means that Christian women should not dress in a seductive manner or in a luxurious, fashion-conscious manner that would arouse jealousy of the poorer women who might be in their group, but rather she should put on good deeds. Additionally, he's not just talking about what might be going on with the jealousy internally between women, but he's also addressing the issue between men. What, what takes place when a woman walks in and she is dressed to the nines and just, you know, there's this glow, look at me, see me, notice me. And she's dressed in a sensual manner. Yeah, I, women, you are not to be a stumbling block brothers. And yes, I'm going to tell you, men struggle with sensuality. And women, if you, you watch your husbands, or ladies, you watch guys in general, almost to a T, there's the wandering eye. Isn't it? Be honest. And how many men struggle, whether we want to admit it or not, with pornography? And if it's not the pornography found on the computer, it's the walking pornography. Within the family of God, within the family of God, within his church, Paul is giving a directive of saying, no, no. Godliness. Godliness is central. Is central to how we work out our faith. Proverbs 31.10 says this, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. So Paul's first instruction is that women must dress properly and that they put their emphasis on godliness. Second, the proper attitude of women is not assertive but submissive to male leadership. I want you to keep in mind... I did not write the script. This is God's word. Like it or not, the Bible is not politically correct. It was not written to uh, make you feel all warm and fuzzy and that all sides just go, oh yeah, I love this. It's not in tune with our uh, our modern sensibilities. But we also find that in the Bible... That there are many truths that are seemingly contradictory or paradoxical. It's like, he says this, but he also says this. And they seem like this. So how do we live in the tension? What is he trying to say when they seem to contradict each other? As we saw last week when Andy preached, he preached... That God is sovereign over all things. That God is sovereign in saving whom he chooses. But he also commands us to pray for the salvation of all. Okay, God elects those who will be saved. The elect. Those who are predestined. Before the foundation of the earth. You want to argue about it? Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Elect those who he says will be saved. But yet we are to pray for the salvation of all. Contradictory, paradoxical, you know. So somehow we've got to figure out, so what does this mean for this this last statement that I just said, that the proper attitude of Christian women is to be assertive, not to be assertive, but submissive to male leadership. When it comes to the roles of men and women, 
The Bible is clear that both men and women reflect the image of God equally. We, Genesis 1.27 says that we were both created in his image. Equally. Equally created. He looked at Adam and goes, oh, my firstborn of all creation. Oh, look at, I made that one. And out of his, out of his side, I am going to create Eve. And look at this. Adam and Eve, they are so different, but they're absolutely beautiful. I've created them both. I love them. Men are not superior over women, nor women over men. In Christ, men and women are equal. In Christ, in the issue of salvation, men and women are equal. Look at Galatians 3.28. But at the same time, They are to fulfill different roles. Often in uh, Scripture, the male-female relationship is a picture of the divine and human relationship. Very different. Therefore, after instructing all Christians to be subject to one another in the fear of Christ, Paul We see this in Ephesians 5. Paul stipulates that in marriage, wives must be subject to their husbands because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church. Okay. Culturally, I don't know what you do with that. You know, in in the, the, the workplace, the modern workplace... Husbands are to be head of their their wives. You know, I'm liberated. But within the Christian culture, within the kingdom living, we go, oh, as Christ is head of the church, I see the model. I see the picture. As Christ, the giving, the loving, the sacrificial one, gave himself all complete. As Christ is head of the church, He has bought the church. (laughs) So husbands are to love their wives. I get that. So we also are to reflect the relationship of Christ to his church. In which he accepts us as his brothers and sisters. And yet we must submit to him. Paul teaches both in our text and also in 1 Corinthians 11. That there is also to be a gender based hierarchy. In the context of equality in the local church. A hierarchy in the context of equality. (laughs) Welcome to paradox and what seems like a contradiction. Hierarchy in the midst of equality. While it should seem wrong to emphasize hierarchy and neglect equality, it is equally wrong to emphasize equality and throw out any form of hierarchy. Many of the evangelical feminists today try to explain away the hierarchy as a cultural thing. Paul was speaking specifically to a cultural thing. Therefore, it's not binding for us today. And every time, however, Paul mentions the subject, he appeals to the... Do you know what he appeals to? The Old Testament. And not some cultural factor for support. Paul appeals all the way back to creation and says, listen, I'm not going to appeal to a hundred years before us as to what should be done. I'm going all the way back to how God intended it. I'm going all the way back to zero. That is the way I want it to be. That is the way that God has designed men and women. That's the way that God has designed marriage. That is what we are to aspire for. Not this fallen world and how culture changes every, every 15 minutes. We are to go back to God's created order. The way that he designed men and women in the beginning. God created perfectly. Go back to that. 
So it's not based on cultural things which we can just say, ah, well, that was a cultural deal. It was back in creation. God's design. So it's a serious error, I believe, in my judgment to take verses like Galatians 3.28 that there's neither male or female in Christ and make it a governing verse by radically reinterpreting the plain sense of other texts such as 1 Timothy 2.11-15. We need to affirm both aspects of the truth. That we are equal. In the eyes of God. But yet God has designed us for different roles and responsibilities within his kingdom. So in our text, Paul spells out the realm, the reasons, and the reward for submission. The realm, the reasons, and the reward. Realm, reason, reward. Remember, realm. The realm of submission involves activities where women would exercise authority over men. Paul is speaking here about the church. Right now, he is speaking about the church, not the home, although, as he mentioned, women are to be subjects to their, to their husbands in the home. But specifically, he's talking here about the church. It's significant that Paul directs the women to learn. In the Jewish culture, they weren't able to go to school and to learn the Torah. They were just, just basically stayed to stay at home. But Paul wants women to learn as long as their attitude is marked by two qualities. Quietness and submissiveness. Quietness and submissiveness. Here we go. The word translated quietly does not mean absolute silence. Okay? So that doesn't mean that Uh, My wife sits over here and she does not mumble a word or anything until she gets home. Okay? But it means rather, when he talks about quietly, it means to have an inner tranquility or peace. Just this inner, she's going to learn quietly with an inner tranquility or peace. Why? Because the one who is leading is underneath the authority of Christ. And that God has placed this man in this place for a reason. Under his authority. And so she can learn quietly with all tranquility and peace. Knowing that the man is listening closely to the heart of God. And he is fulfilling his role and his responsibility as head of the home and leader within the church. Women are not to be agitated and assertive rebel rousers within the church. This next word, submissiveness, is, is a military word, meaning under rank. A lieutenant and a sergeant are equal in personhood, but they have different ranks. Even so, women are to put themselves in rank under men in church leadership. And Paul adds the words, with all submissiveness, to show that it is more than just a mere external obedience but an attitude of respect is also included. He's not just saying, okay, in church, you know, when you show up, you're, all right, whatever. I'll sit here and be quiet because that's what you want. But when I get out that door, you're going to get it. But he says, with all submissiveness. It's talking about, it marks your whole life. The implied object of their submission is church leaders and elders who teach sound doctrine, who teach the whole counsel of Scripture. The word translated exercise authority is used only here in the New Testament and has this nuance of usurping authority or being domineering. Apparently there were some women in the church who were being assertive and they were applying it by teaching even the men in the worship assembly. And Paul was saying, "Uh uh-uh. He was prohibiting this, as he shows in, in 2, 13 and 14. It violates God's pattern of authority and submission as pictured in the creation and the fall. And here's where I'm just gonna 
put this out here. I realize that Paul opens a whole host of questions, which he leaves unanswered. Thank you, Paul. Like, can women teach men in a missional community? What about Sunday school classes? What about the role of women in parachurch ministries? Like Camp Manitoba. Paul doesn't really address that, does he? Can they be in leadership positions over men? In the workplace? What about in the children's ministry? What about a woman teaching as long as she is in submission to male elders? What about a woman teaching through writing books or teaching a man individually? BSF was written by a woman. Does that apply? What about all the noteworthy exceptions that we find all through Scripture? Deborah, Holda, Junia, all these women that you find throughout out Scripture? What about the, the many godly and effective women missionaries down through all of culture? Paul, what do we do with those? And I'm going to be honest, an hour is not enough. And I can't begin to answer all those questions, but I can give some principles that apply to the church. First of all, the office of elder is limited to men. The office of elder pastor is limited to men. You can see it in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, Titus 1, 5 through 9, and they all assume male elders. And in every other New Testament case, Elders are men. Also, Jesus. Jesus, who could have been culturally different and changed everything and just turned up you know, the, the whole apple cart and just said, we're starting something new. What did he do? Jesus chose men as apostles with authority over the church. And this means that the office of teaching pastor and elder is to be restricted to men. Restricted to men. I think that it also means that women should not... We, we as a church have got to struggle with what does it look like for men and women in the teaching outside of our, our corporate gathering? How, how, what does it mean? That is why I have such a heart for the men of our church. April 2nd, we are leading... We are doing our first one-day men's conference called Band of Brothers, Men Entrusted with the Gospel. I have such a heart for men leading the church and their homes with the gospel. Men, go to it. If 40 bucks is too much, talk to me. Women, put it on their schedule now. April 2nd, Saturday. Make it happen. Do it with all submissiveness. But um, but this is critical to the health of our church. This is critical to the, the, the health of your marriages and your relationships that we understand men are to lead their families towards Jesus Christ along with their wife who is their equal. But they have a special responsibility to say, this is, this is my God-given responsibility to lead my family and my wife and to present her holy and blameless before God. It's my responsibility to lead my family. It's our responsibility to lead this church into all holiness so that when we come before Jesus, we say, Lord, here's your bride, pure and spotless. So does Paul mean that a godly woman can never teach? I don't think so. I've seen in my, my life godly women who have a heart for teaching. And you, you even see Paul. Paul came underneath the teaching of a godly woman who discipled him. 
So we've got to wrestle with that. And we need to remember that God is notorious for doing as He pleases. Notorious. Absolutely notorious. But the exceptions as well as the plain teaching of passages such as our text show us that that they are just exceptions. The norm should be men in leadership and in teaching positions within our church. That is the norm. If God raises up a gifted woman, we have to recognize her ministry and her giftedness and her skills and her passions. We need to do that. But even so, she will have an attitude of submission to male leadership. And she will focus on teaching women. And if there's the rare case in in a, a small country in the middle of Timbuktu where there's a woman is first led to Christ and she gives her heart, if she is in the Word of God, she is going to see this and just say, my responsibility is to disciple my husband so that what? He will lead. Because that is God's design. That is God's design. So the reasons for submission are the creation the realm, the reasons, are, are creation order in the order of the fall. It's compelling that Paul, every time, every time he goes back to the Old Testament, every time he goes back and says, look, this is it. Go back to creation. Don't go back 100 years or 200 years to the glory days. Go back to the glory day when all things were perfect. That is what it's supposed to be like. Paul keeps on going back to that. John Stott, a man that I have a tremendous amount of respect, in dealing with this this sensitive subject, says, all attempts to get rid of Paul's teaching on headship on grounds that it is mistaken, confusing, cultural-bound, or culture-specific, must be pronounced unsuccessful. It, It is rooted in... Oh, it it remains stubbornly there. It is rooted in divine revelation, not human opinion, and in divine creation, not human culture. In essence, therefore, it must be preserved as having permanent and universal authority. It's not human opinion, it's not culturally bound. Divine revelation and divine creation. He goes on in a, um, a Christianity Today uh, article. Let me see, did it pop up there yet? Nope. There we go. But then I can't dismiss masculine headship in the cavalier way in which some evangelical feminists do. There is something in the Pauline teaching about headship that cannot be ignored as a purely cultural phenomenon because he roots it in creation. And then he goes on to say, we may find his exegesis of Genesis 2 difficult, that women were made after women, or after men, out of men, and for men, but he does root his argument in creation. I have a very high view of apostolic authority. I don't feel able to reject Paul's exegesis. If you're going to throw this out, what else are you going to throw out? Is the Beatitudes next? I don't know. Maybe you don't like Peter. You know, 1 Peter 3, you're going to have to cut out a huge chunk of 1 Peter 3 because the same thing is found in there. Get out the scissors. Maybe it's Ephesians. Ephesians 5, let's cut out that chunk. Cut out Genesis. Where where are we going to stop? We've got to understand that this is the word of God and Paul is going back and saying, listen, it's rooted in inspiration and it's rooted in creation. So let's talk about this this fun stuff here in in 13 through 15. 
13. <laughs> For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Okay, we got that. That's easy. But then he goes on to say this. And Adam wasn't deceived, but the woman was deceived and became the transgressor. Feels like a lot of finger pointing going on. Uh-uh. Paul isn't implying that Adam was less guilty than Eve. Nor was he putting all the blame on Eve. Both were equally culpable. Both. Nor is Paul implying that women are just naturally more inclined to deception than men. The Bible is clear that we are both easily deceived by sin and false doctrine. What Paul is getting at is that in the fall, God ordained roles. And these roles were reversed. Satan didn't approach Adam, but rather Eve, so that he could upset God's reflection, his image in the original couple by enticing the woman to act independently of her husband and God's authority. She didn't need to remain under her husband or God. She could attain God-like existence by acting on her own. So Paul says, is saying here that this role reversal that brought about such awful consequences on the human race should not be repeated in the church. Don't repeat this in the church. How then can women then serve in the church? If they can't assume leadership and teaching roles over men, what can they do? Paul goes on to show that a woman's normal sphere of ministry is in the home. Here comes the daggers at Paul. If she serves in her God-appointed sphere, she will receive her reward. So the reward for submission is salvation from the curse. Many commentators call verse 15 the most difficult of all verses in the New Testament. I've spent hours primarily on this one verse in verse 15. She will be saved through childbearing. So all of you who haven't had children yet, you're not saved yet, right? What are you going to do with that? (laughs) (laughs) So as can be expected, there's many different interpretations um, and each hinging on a different grammatical or lexical, you know, different ways of using words. Um, And I can't go into great detail, but I'm going to give you five. Five different ways that uh, I've seen the commentaries, commentators, pr- these guys who are professional Christians, and, you know, they're really in the word and trying to do their absolute best. There's at least five major ones, and there are way more. Okay? The first, and just so you know, the last one is where I'm going to land. The first, women will be kept safe physically through childbirth in spite of the curse of the fall. So they will be kept physically safe through childbirth. What what, what do you do with all the godly women who have died in childbirth? Out. Two. Women will be saved spiritually through childbirth, capital C, namely the birth of Christ, the seed of the woman who brought salvation to the human race. The problem with this view is if this was Paul's meaning, as one commentator said, he could hardly have chosen a more obscure or ambiguous way of saying it. He's kind of like going around the back door 12 different ways of saying it. Just come out and say, the woman will be saved because she will give birth through women. The Christ child will come. But Paul kind of goes around this kind of weird way. So two is out. Three, 
women will be preserved from insignificance and find fulfillment by bearing children. Women, is this true? Do you find significance in your children? Laura? Yes. If you find fulfillment and significance in the children that you're raising up, and it's wonderful and beautiful. But that doesn't... What about those who are not believers? Will they then be saved because they have children? This one is out. And it, because it imposes a, an unusual meaning to the word saved. Number four, women will be saved from the corruption of this sinful world by assuming their proper role at home. Now, this is getting closer to the truth. But it doesn't grant the normal meaning to the word saved. We're getting closer. Here's the last one. Women will be saved spiritually with an emphasis on the future aspect of salvation. Women will be saved spiritually if their lives show the fruit of saving faith. Namely, submission to God's order as evidenced by taking their proper role as godly mothers. Women will be saved, will work out their salvation as they come underneath the submission of their husbands who are underneath the submission of Christ who is head of the church. They will work out their their salvation as in a God-ordained kind of way. And how does He do it? If they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. This doesn't mean that a woman earns her salvation by bearing children. No way. Rather, it looks at a future aspect of salvation. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, but genuine faith, genuine saving faith, always, always, always results in a life of good works and in the development of godly character from God's design. The hope of future salvation should motivate us to a life of good deeds in spite of the hardships. And evidence of a woman's salvation is in their continuance in faith, in love, in holiness, and self-restraint. So in conclusion, I spent most of this morning, 50-some minutes, explaining a difficult task, a difficult text, where what, what does it mean for men and women to be equal in God's eyes? But yet to have different roles and where there appears to be a hierarchy. And I want to conclude by applying these verses in three areas. First, we have to check our attitude towards Scripture. Are we defiant or compliant? Because of our rebellion against God, we have a tendency to shrug off the parts of God's word that we don't like. And if you only submit to the parts of the Bible you like, then you're just using the Bible to reinforce your sinful desires. I don't like that. I don't want that. I'm ignoring it. Or I'm going to find my way, a way around it. I, nah. You're only reinforcing your own sinful desires. careful. Number two, check your attitude toward the opposite sex. Is it competitive or cooperative? 
Seriously, we all have histories, don't we? And that informs how we approach a man or a woman. What is our attitude? There have been many women who have been scorned by a man, abused, neglected, left behind, and that just informs every time this subject comes up of how I feel about this. Go back to one. Check your attitude towards Scripture. Come back again as the gospel penetrates your heart and sees this brother or sister in Christ. If we all submit to God and serve in our God-given roles, there will be cooperation and harmony and beauty. Last, check your attitude about the home. Is it a burden or blessing? You know what kills me? Is hearing the burden of children in premarital counseling. Or just in conversations. And, oh, so where are you guys at? And thinking about kids. Oh, we're going to wait another 10 years. We really want to enjoy our life. And Really? God has given the home a beautiful place. Is it a burden for children? Or is it a blessing? And I don't care... How many kids you have, what kind of kids you have, what issues they might have. These are blessings from God. Blessings. Is your home a blessing or a burden? Children are one of God's greatest blessings. And the responsibility of shaping their character through godly example in the home is more important than any career, male or female. Any career. Your children are far more important than any children. Right, Connor? Right. And their shaping their character is central. As a husband, as a wife, as a male or female, is central to what we do. If you are waiting to have children, giddy up. Get married first. (laughs) To a godly wife or a godly husband. But what are you waiting for? A blessing? So that's this morning. I know it's not the most popular one. But I believe it is God's design, God's desire for us as a church, according to his word, which cannot be argued nor ignored. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray.